Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood here, and it's story time. Time for some scotch, because it's Friday as I record this. And yeah, those of you who are watching the video, I'm aware that's a brandy snifter, but what the hell, it's... I don't have my proper scotch glasses here with me where I am right now, so live with it. Anyway, um, I promised you a second story reading this week, and it's time to deliver. But before I do that, I had some awesome news that just arrived today. If you haven't listened to or watched my my video and podcast previous to this about Fiction River Spies, definitely go look at that because... I my first short story that I ever sold professionally is out in an anthology now, and I want you guys all to partake in it. Um, I've already gotten paid for the story, so I'm not actually grubbing for money. I, uh, but I do want you to read it. I do want you to support the anthology uh, series that published it, so they can continue on to do to publish more stuff like that. So. Kindly go check it out. I've set up a books to read link, uh, which is a universal link where you can get all the bookstores where it's at. Uh, I'll put it in the description of this, just like I did in the previous episode. It's uh, bookstoread.com slash fr-spies. And uh, go check it out. Be good. But for this episode, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to get back to the Pericles Conspiracy. Uh, when last we left, Joe had come home after visiting Allison and and Carlton. Had a good time up in Boston. And she gets home, and there's a dead man standing outside her door, waiting for her. Let's see what happens next, shall we? Enjoy. The Pericles Conspiracy. Written by me. Read by me. Chapter 4. Back from the dead. Malcolm! Joe exclaimed in disbelief, her fatigue forgotten in the shock of seeing him. It's good to see you too, Malcolm replied. What do you mean it's good to see me? You're supposed to be dead. Where the hell have you been? Malcolm's smile faded. He pushed himself off the wall. With a quick, furtive glance both ways down the hallway, he stepped toward Joe and spoke more quietly. I need your help, Joe. Can we talk inside? She was tempted to say no, to tell him to go away. If he had faked his death, and what other explanation was there, he was certainly up to no good, and that was trouble Joe did not need. But he had been a good friend once, and long ago, more than that. She found herself nodding, and then following him into her condo. As usual, the lights turned on as they entered, and her classical mix began to play along with the slideshow of the alien landscapes. She closed the door and rolled her suitcase over to the closet. 
When she turned back toward Malcolm, he was watching the slideshow with a faraway look in his eyes and an amused grin on his lips. Remember that time on Talos? When we took that picture, you almost... Stow it, Malcolm, she said, placing her hands on her hips and assuming the tone she reserved for times when a subordinate was being particularly stupid. What are you doing alive, and who the hell did we cremate a year and a half ago? Malcolm looked sidelong at her, saying nothing for nearly a full minute. Then he nodded, as if coming to a decision, and sat down on her stuffed chair. He drew a deep breath before replying. The body was a homeless man. Seeing her expression, he raised his right hand in a placating gesture and quickly added, We didn't kill him. We found him dead in a back alley. Probably drank himself to death. Bullshit. They verified the body through DNA analysis. Malcolm's eyebrows rose high onto his brow. Well, I'm here. Clearly, they were mistaken. He made a powerful case, she had to admit. We knew they would run tests. So we made sure to set up the fire in a manner that would render the body unidentifiable. But as a little extra insurance, he raised his left hand and Joe's breath caught in her throat. His little finger was gone, cut off except for a small bump where the last knuckle would be. Doesn't take much to leave a lot of DNA. Joe sank onto the couch and shook her head in disbelief. Why would you do that? And who is we? Malcolm leaned forward, resting his elbows on his knees. Do you remember when we docked the debriefings? Of course I do. What is that? Almost from the beginning, I realized that the government was not going to do right by our new friends. When they brought out the non-disclosure agreements and swore us to secrecy, I knew for sure. Joe snorted, and Malcolm frowned slightly. Don't believe it? I studied the incubator and the technical documents for almost nine months before we turned over the watch and went back into cryosuspension. I checked with the others when we woke up before docking, and no one else had bothered to even look at it. I knew more about what those creatures gave us than anyone else alive, so why wouldn't the agency accept my help, unless they meant ill? You faked your death because your ego was bruised? Joe knew she sounded incredulous, but it seemed appropriate. Malcolm shook his head vigorously. It's not about me. He stood up suddenly and paced over to the window. I tried, Joe. After we were released, I tried to get them to listen. This was getting ridiculous. Listen? Listen to what? You don't have a security clearance. You're just an engineer on a Starliner. Or you were. And a damn good one. But why would they need your help when they have world-class PhDs on their payroll? Especially when you were going out of your way to be a pain in the ass. Malcolm turned back at her, looking startled. Oh yes, I heard about that little stunt you pulled up at NSA headquarters. What were you thinking? You're lucky they didn't lock you up. Malcolm waved off her comment. They wouldn't have done that. Too much press if they did. Too many questions. He walked back to the sitting area and took his seat on the chair again. His expression was serious as he continued, his eyes taking on a fierce light. But then I met some people. I don't know how they heard about it or how they found me. But they had suspicions about what had happened up there, and they confirmed my worst fears about what the government was up to. Some kooks tell you a tall tale and you buy it? Of course not. I thought they were crazy at first, too, just as you think I am. I don't think you're crazy, he smirked. Yes, you do. But they showed me evidence of what the government had done in the past in other cases, and it was compelling. When I showed them my copies of the technical documents... Copies? You made copies of what they gave us? Malcolm nodded. I knew they'd be confiscated, but I wanted to continue studying them, so Joe threw her hands up. 
and you wonder why the agency wasn't going to trust you? Did you ever even once think about just trying to work within the rules? The agency's rules are about exclusion, about keeping information away from the populace, about keeping them enthralled with bread and circuses while the government, Joe stood up. I've heard enough of this. I don't know what happened to you, Malcolm, but I'm tired and I've got an early day tomorrow. Take your conspiracy theories and leave. She turned away toward her bedroom door. The government has no intention of sending those eggs back, Joe. Malcolm's words stopped her in her tracks. She looked back at him over her shoulder. His face was stricken, almost as though he was in physical pain. What are you talking about? Of course they will. He shook his head. No. They've got the eggs in a lab and they're running tests on them. When they've learned all they can, the eggs will be discarded. Meanwhile, the government is using the technology in those documents to build weapons for when we encounter them again. Clenching his fist as he rose, Malcolm took a step toward her, and Joe backed away without realizing it. Now he looked enraged, ready to commit violence. They entrusted us with their eggs, with their babies, and the government is using them like lab rats. This had gone far enough. Malcolm's rapidly changing moods were making Joe more than a little nervous. I'm going to bed now, Malcolm. Please show yourself out. Don't make me call the police. He recoiled as if slapped. For a second, Joe thought maybe he was going to lash out at her. But then he slumped, looking defeated, and nodding, he turned toward the door. He half turned as the door slid open, and he looked like he was going to say something else. But he must have seen in her face that she didn't want to hear it, so, with a sigh, he walked out of her condo. As the door slid shut behind him, Joe let out a tense breath. What had happened to him? He used to be poised, decisive, passionate, brilliant. Now, well, he was passionate, that much was clear, but the rest, he was twisted, hardly resembling the man she once knew. Joe locked up and went to bed, but she was unable to sleep for a long time. Instead, she replayed the encounter over and over in her head. She couldn't help but feel sorry for her old friend. Joe pushed past Harold's secretary, ignoring his protest that Mr. Jamison was in a meeting and wasn't to be disturbed. The double doors to his 45th story office were solid, probably mahogany, and beautifully stained. She shoved them open, and they swung through their full range of motion, smacking into the walls within his office with a loud crash. Harold was seated at his coffee table with three other men, all dressed in fine business suits. They were going over documents on the display screen built into the table, but all looked over in unison at the noise, surprise turning to chagrin on the faces of the three guests as she walked in. Harold's face was a thundercloud. He stood up, pulling off his reading glasses and glowering at her. Joe, what? She gave him no time to complete his sentence. In her no-nonsense tone, she said, I need to talk to you, Harry, right now. Harold knew her well enough to recognize that tone. His expression moderated a bit but from the tightness around his eyes, Joe could tell he was very annoyed. Well, it was about to get worse. Will you excuse us for a moment, gentlemen? Harold said to his companions. The three men looked from Harold to Joe and back. Then the fellow who seemed to be the leader nodded. They stood, the younger of the three men pausing to turn off the display, then walked out. All three of them gave Joe appraising and questioning stares as they walked past her. Harold closed the doors behind them and turned to face her. All right, Joe, this better be good. Malcolm in Goodway is alive. Harold's jaw dropped open, the annoyance leaving his face, replaced by confusion. What are you talking about? He was confirmed dead a year and a half ago. 
Then I guess it was a ghost that came by my condo last night. Joe stepped over to the television control on the wall across from Harold's desk and touched her hollow card to it. A moment later, her homepage came up, and she tapped her video cache twice. The feed from the security camera outside her door came up on the television screen, showing her encounter with Malcolm, or at least the part of it that occurred in the hall. Harold stepped up toward the screen, his eyes widening. My God, it is him! How? He faked his own death. But why? Joe felt an upwelling of sadness for her friend as she related the substance of their discussion to Harold. She was circumspect about the eggs and the other items they brought back on Pericles. Harold did not know the details about what had happened up there. He took over as COO three months after Pericles docked, and he was not cleared to learn the details. As far as he was told, and from what Joe could tell, as far as he cared, something had happened that the government cared about. But it was not safety-related, and it did not affect the operation of his Starliner fleet, except for a short delay offloading that one ship, so he had not asked questions. He knew better than to do that. All the same, he looked quizzically at Joe as she came to the end of her tale. I know you can't say what could possibly have gotten him so riled up, and I really don't want to know, but... He left the rest of the question unspoken. Joe spread her hands in an expression of helplessness. Harold waved a hand as though dismissing his own question. Well, the authorities are going to want to know he's alive, and if he's as unstable as you say... He shook his head. Pity how people fall apart sometimes, isn't it? Well, I'm sure when they catch up to him, they'll get him the help he needs. Harold checked the time and paused for a moment. Joe could almost see him computing the time difference in his head. It's four o'clock in Geneva now. Better let Chandini know. He reached toward the controls for the intercom to his secretary, but froze as Joe spoke again. Something else, Harry. A reporter's been asking questions about what happened on Pericles. What? Who? Joe shrugged. Guy named Reynolds. Jeremy Reynolds from Star News. He approached me at a bar. When did this happen? The night that Hephaestus had her accident. Harold slammed a fist onto the top of his desk. God damn it, Joe! That was almost three months ago, and you're just telling me now? It slipped my mind in the furor of trying to save over 5,000 lives. Sorry. Next time I'll get my priorities straight. Harold managed to look a bit sheepish as he nodded, conceding the point. True enough. Well, hopefully no harm, no foul. Brace yourself, though. You know the feds aren't going to like this one bit. With that, Harold tapped the intercom control. His secretary's voice came through. Yes, Mr. Jameson. Stephen, get me Deputy Director Chandini of the NSA. There was a long silence on the other end of the intercom. For a moment, Joe wondered if Stephen had heard the order. But then he spoke again, his voice quavering as though he was suddenly very nervous. Yes, Mr. Jameson. The intercom clicked off, and memories from Pericles' docking rushed into Joe's mind, primarily interviews with the NSA agents who took charge of her crew's debriefing. They were cold and aloof, seemingly ready to find fault with her people and haul them away at any moment. A far cry from the customs agents from the Interplanetary Commerce Administration that Starliners normally dealt with. They were cordial, almost warm in a professionally familiar sort of way. But the NSA people... They were in the law enforcement and solar system security business, and on the murkier side of law enforcement at that. It made sense for them to take over, considering what had happened, but dealing with them was uncomfortable, to say the least. And Chandini herself... Joe had to stop herself from wrapping her arms over her chest protectively. Chandini was not someone to be trifled with. Joe glanced over at Harold. From his expression, she could tell he was thinking the same thing she was. It was going to be a very long day. 
Well, guys, there you go. Two more chapters down. Yeah, I've refilled my scotch between the last filming and this one because it's Friday. Uh, so, but anyway, sue me. I like scotch. Anyway, um, so yeah, so we're starting to get into the thick of things here. And uh, so what do you think? What do you think of Malcolm? What do you think about his uh, concepts here, right? I'm not going to call him a conspiracy theorist because that's a term that was foisted on us by various alphabet agencies in order to deflect criticism from the Warren Commission and then since then um, make any semblance of notion that the official story might not be right sound like it's crazy talk. And <laughs> I think it was we all have... Noticed over the years, the official story is almost never right. Um, and let's face it, if you really look at history, a lot of the important events of history were done by conspiracy. So I'm not going to call him a conspiracy theorist because of that. But that having been said, he's saying there's some kind of government conspiracy or cabal and they're taking over things because we know they took over everything because you know, when Joe and them came back they did <laughs> by law uh but now he's saying oh they're not gonna hold true and now uh, we just uh talked to harry and they're gonna get uh the nsa involved and as far as uh, if you were joe what would you be thinking i mean you've last two years you've been going on this whole tangent on things and have been Going about your business, you've been interfacing with with the NSA and the other agencies involved. And as captain, you would have been at the table, not a deciding member for sure, but at least had a seat at the table to listen to all the discussions, at least at first, until you got shut out. But even still, as one of the people who knew what was going on, and as the ahead of all the people who knew what was going on, you still would have been, had some matter of involvement in it, right? So you're Joe. Uh, you've got Malcolm's theory and uh, what he's been saying versus the official line and all the people you've been working with the last two years. And uh, oh, what do you think? What would you, what would you think? Right? Um... Oh, think about that before we go into the next couple chapters. We'll see what uh, Deputy Director Chandini has to say when we uh, talk to her next. Tell me what you think, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Until then, you know what to do. Buy my books! Become a member of my website. And don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. 
Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>